You are listening to Rare Voices, the show that reveals the wisest path to a fulfilled life for patients with rare and orphan disorders. Brought to you by the people of OptimiCare. I'm your host, Donovan Quill. Well, hey, Rare Voices listeners, about now is the time you're usually hearing Donovan Quill's voice, but today you have me, Jeremy Newlick, as your guest host. And over the past year or so, I've been on the production team for the show, behind the scenes, and uh, supporting the fine people at OptimiCare and bringing this show to you. And so we felt it fitting on this final episode of our first season, this wrapping of the year, we're going to move Donovan from the host seat over to the guest side of the internet microphone. So say hi, Donovan. Hello, all. However, in addition, we also are joined today by Michelle Hefley, the co-founder of OptimiCare and someone regarded in uh, so many influential circles as wise counsel when it comes to rare and orphan drugs. Say hi, Michelle. Hello, everyone. Now, before we even get into the show, it's important to note that you guys celebrated a, a rare sort of anniversary at least in the world of business, you know, in the uh, sort of quick internet sleuthing that took place shortly before this recording, I found that about half of businesses uh, don't make it uh, to their fifth year. Uh, and back in August of 2020, uh, during a pandemic, you all celebrated your five-year anniversary. Is that right? That is right. So, so how does it feel? What was the key to making it? What does it mean to you guys to have made it five years together? You want to start, Donovan, or you want me to? You can go ahead. All right. I guess for me, it's exhilarating. It's gratifying. Uh, it's magical, which is the term we use a lot at uh, OptimiCare, uh, to have made it to that five-year mark. And it's what, when I think about what's really hard to uh, believe is that it was over five years ago that Donovan and I were sitting around my dining room table uh, talking as you do about, you know, your past experiences. We just exited our um, uh, last work at, in the orphan community with a company called Centric Health Resources. And so we were, you know, talking about all the things that uh, had we done and all the fun that we had. Um, and, uh, but also as you do in those sort of conversations, we started talking about, uh, the things that we hadn't happened or that we hadn't accomplished and also the things that, uh, we would still like to do. And it had been such a privilege for us to work the most of our careers within the orphan, uh, community and with companies that were bringing those products to market. And I guess um, most importantly, with the friends and colleagues we'd made through the years uh, in the orphan community that had really kind of shown us the way in terms of what was really important and helped us define uh, uh, what, what we wanted to do is, uh, in, in the past. And uh, so I'll have to say with a few beers in hand and... Um, sort of multiple meetings, some scribblings on a pad, uh, and inspired by our past experiences and our, um, and our uh, past colleagues, Optimus Care was born with the idea that if you focus first on the patient every day in every way, that that is the true key to success in, in the orphan space and the true key to success for anyone who's going to launch a product within that space. Um, and, uh, and so Donovan, uh, what do you remember about those songs? Yeah. Um, I do remember the, uh, I don't remember. I remember the beers. I remember the, uh, the meetings we had and I remember, uh, sitting there and, you know, it started, like you said, it started as a, kind of a, just a, us going through our, you know, the fun times we had working together and the fun times we had with our, you know, our previous company. And when I really look at what we did, it, it spawned from a small idea of us saying, we would love to work together again. We'd love to do something together with the people that we enjoy working with. And we'd love to, we'd love to create something that's, that's, 
that's not in the market right now. So it started with an idea. And then, and then we realized that our life's mission was to really work with patients and create something that's very, very patient first and create a, 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 whole, a whole experience for the, for the patient and the product manufacturers that would, would, just, would just really point to that, would really point to that patient first mentality and, and everything we do. And there's a lot of opportunities and a lot of folks that say that they're going to, you know, create something and they're going to put something out there that's, that's patient forward. And it's, it's not always done. It's not always done, you know, to that, to that magnitude. And when I look at, you know, look back five years ago, it doesn't even feel like five years because we we've, we've had a lot of fun with what we've been doing. One of the things that I know that Michelle and I, you know, Michelle and I, and, you know, one of our other founders made a pact that no matter what we would remain friends. And I think, you know, a lot of businesses start um, and, you know, go, go through a couple of years and you go through those trials and tribulations and the, the ups and downs and you see those friendships split. But I, I can honestly tell you that I think our friendship has, uh, has really, you know, even got, got more solid over, over the five years and, you know, we're closer than we've ever been. And I think a lot of that is because we see that sense of accomplishment, that taking an idea, having a mission, and, and really building something that's special for the patients that we serve and building something special and successful for the manufacturers that we currently have. And what we, when we see the, you know, what we see on the horizon later on is just, you know, a, a, an idea that, that spawned from, you know, a little conversation around a table into something that's been very magical over the past five years. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's it's a largely irrational thing to do to decide to start a business, uh, as I'm sure you guys have have found. Um, you know, because you know, given even even what you've said and uh, what you you guys had an alignment of your mission uh, of what you wanted to accomplish for healthcare, the more rational sort of decision would be, well, let's go find you know a business that we can plug into and really have an impact there. But it sounds like there's something else uh, that even you know preceding that that kitchen table conversation and the beers, et cetera, there was a connection that that you guys had, uh, you know, over the the course of your your professional careers uh, that you built. And so, what was that built on? What did you guys? Uh, how did you guys first, you know, sort of uh, uh, meet? And and how did you start to understand that maybe this was, the, you know, the kind of partnership that was that was beyond just a a collegial sort of nice one. So, so how did you guys meet? <laughs> so <laughs> I, I'll take that one, Michelle, because I think it was, a, it's an interesting, uh, it's, it's interesting, you know, from, from my perspective and prior to, uh, prior to healthcare, I'm going to step back even a little bit before I met Michelle, because it was kind of that, that antithesis of, of getting there. Um, prior to healthcare, I was a college lacrosse coach and, and instructor uh, for a small college out in Pennsylvania. That's always the pedigree, by the way, for being the CEO, you know, of a, of a pharmacy, a specialty pharmacy is, is yeah. Uh, lacrosse. Yeah. So, so I was, uh, we, we had just finished up the season. We just had our, you know, end of the year banquet per, per se. And I was walking from the, uh, the student union across back to the gymnasium. And, you know, it was one of those beautiful spring days, air clear. And I was just kind of walking and, and, you know, I think I was talking to myself, um, which is always, you know, always a good thing. And I said, you know, what am I supposed to do? Is this is what is this what I'm supposed to do? And I was in, I was, you know, my young 30s and just questioning, like, you know, the whole thing. We had a very successful season that year, but it was, it, it always felt like there was something missing. Um, right around that time uh, was also my dad's, uh, my dad had a, a, a lung transplant from having a disorder and he, it, it was a, it was the year mark. And, you know, he was talking about, we had both started talking about giving back to the community, um, the alpha one community that, that um, gave so much to, to our family to get us through some of the tough times for my dad to receive the transplant and have different therapies. So the very next day after I questioned, what am I supposed to be doing? I got a phone call from this, this guy who said, we have this specialty pharmacy and patient service organization. That's, that's patient centric and 
we're looking for patient advocates who can go out and help patients understand the disorder they have, help them kind of process, you know, the information, and then just give them an idea of, of, of how to kind of manage and live with this disorder and really be an advocate for them going to the doctors to create awareness, education, detection, and, uh, you know, an appropriate treatment uh, when it's available. And I'm going to, and the, and the guy said, I'm going to be flying through Philadelphia, uh, you know, uh, on Thursday, come down and meet with me at the Philadelphia Marriott. And, you know, we'll talk about doing this. Well, I actually thought it was a volunteer position <laughs> and uh, sat there with, uh, with this guy. And he told me all about this great company that I, I knew some, I knew some things about because my dad had, you know, worked with them and they had taken care of my dad for a long time. So halfway through talking with, with, uh, with this guy, he says, I want to offer you the job. And I said, well, what? oh, it's, it's actual job. It's not a, a volunteer thing. And he said, no, it's a, it's a job. You're going to, you know, it'd be a full-time position. And, you know, I, I'd love to offer this to you. And we, and we sat there and talked about what it would entail and everything else. And it sounded great. It was do you completely think you different. <laughs> prepared, do you think you would have prepared differently if you thought you were going into like a job interview than like, oh, cool. Well, I'll just, you know, go do some, some volunteer work. Do you think you would have thought? I probably would have. Um, I probably would have had some type of portfolio with me or some type of, you know, uh, something that, that kind of showed that I could do what I was doing. But I also think that that was why it was so successful is there was no pressure. There was no worry. There was no, you know, anything. And I wasn't really looking for a job. I was looking to, you know, help with, you know, folks who went through what I went through, who went through what my pa- family went through. So it was one of those no pressure situations. I had a career that I loved and this guy offered me the job. And, you know, so I, I went home and I had lunch with my wife and I said to her, I said, I have, I have this job offer. And she said, what is it? And I said, you know, and I explained to her what, what it was. And she said, that sounds great. It sounds, you know, like what exactly what you and your dad were just talking about, giving back and doing these things. And, you know, and they're, they're going to, they're going to have, they're going to hire you for it. And I said, yeah. At the same time, I had a huge recruiting class in. I had all these kids who came to the college because I, I, they were there for me, you know, and, and, and they were there to play for me. And you kind of looked at that too. Like, you're like, all right, am I, am I hurting them in some way? And uh, so a couple hours went by and my phone rang and, and the guy who offered me the job said, um, before I offer you, bef- you, you have the job. Don't worry about, don't worry about it. You could tell like some sense of panic in his voice. And he said, but you just have to interview with like one or two people before uh, I can really officially send you an offer letter. And I said, okay. <laughs> he, goes, he goes, one of those people is Michelle Heffley. They tried to prep me for Michelle. And he said, she has a career, uh, you know, in operations. She's managed companies. She's done this, that, the other thing. She's great. She's a nurse by background. I said, okay, I'd love to meet her. I'd love to talk to her. And then, uh, and then one other person that was, that was at, you know, centric at the time. And I got uh, I got on the phone with Michelle and we had a you know a great conversation. And one of the key things that you know Michelle asked me said you know why are you leaving the position you're in and I said I I don't necessarily know that I am like <laughs> I'm not sure that I w- I can leave I'm not sure I want to leave but I also know that I want to help so I'm I'm kind of torn now. And you know and, and Michelle you know said to me I said I asked her I said what's what's the most rewarding thing about this about what you do. And she said, in all honesty, you break it down to you're helping people in need and you're giving something to them and giving hope and care and compassion to those who need something. And right there, I knew that it was a company that I need. It was a company and and someone that I needed to work for and work with. And that's kind of the, uh, that's, that's, that's how I met Michelle and then um, I left Michelle to go for uh, to another position where I was going to work at the uh, at a not for profit for Alpha One, and Michelle warned me before I went and said, "Hey, just be careful. It's a uh, I know it's a it's an awesome opportunity for you, but you know keep your head on a swivel and notice the you know notice different things and you know I'll be here if you need anything. Call me whenever you need any anything and." I was at that not-for-profit for a little over a year and I realized it, it wasn't the time that I need. I should have been there. Um, it was the right position probably, but it wasn't the right timing. Um, so I called Michelle right away and I said, Hey, I am thinking about leaving here and um, not sure where I'm leaving here to go. And Michelle, you know, kind of offered counsel as she always does. And, you know, we, we, we work things out. I went, 
I, she didn't have any positions back at Centric Health Resources at that point in time. And I, I left and I went to work with uh, one of the drug manufacturers for sales and marketing um, that really worked with, uh, with, Mich- with Michelle and Centric Health Resources and the disorder that we've all known and loved. And uh, we uh, were able to um, at some point filter back and a position came open and Michelle coaxed me to move across the country to Missouri and, kind of the rest is history, but it's, it's always been the, the, the demeanor in which Michelle, you know, works at a company and they, the counsel that I've had, the, the, the mentorship that is, uh, that has just been most of my life and in business um, from her that I, that I, that's always drawn me to, to want to be with her and, you know, and, and, and create something special. So kind of a, a roundabout way of how we met, but we We've met, we, we parted ways, we got back together, and now here we are, you know, with, our, with a company that we founded together. Well, M- Michelle, it sounds like, you know, you really were a, a, like a, a, a career and life Obi-Wan for, uh, <laughs> for Donovan. And I mean, how, how do you remember Donovan? Did you just remember some, uh, some guy calling you out of the blue and you were asked suddenly to, you know, uh, interview him over the phone because a promise had been made to hire him already or, or uh, what's, what do you recall from, from that conversation? What I remember most vividly is the gentleman calling me and prepping me about talking to Donovan and talking about how great he was. He was exactly what we look for. He was the profile. He was the guy and, uh, and uh, really selling Donovan and what he had to offer and his skill set. And, you know, as you kind of do, my first thought was, few people are as good as advertised, but we'll see. And uh, Donovan got on, Donovan and I got on the phone and, uh, you know, and it kind of quickly evolved from an interview type situation to sort of a discussion related to, you know, goals and what was important and kind of life missions and those sort of things. And I can remember thinking at the end of that call that, um, well, Donovan was one of the few people that were as advertised, that I was as excited as my colleague was about him, uh, the possibility of us, his joining uh, Centric Health Resources and, and providing support to the patient community that we were really involved in. So that, that's what I remember. But I also remember that phone call when he was leaving. <laughs> and uh, it, it did take most of my professional uh, composure control uh, to, to, because I was just sick. I didn't want him to leave us. But I certainly did understand the opportunity that was in front of him and, and that it was important. And I also felt like it was something that he really needed to explore for himself to see again what direction direction made the most sense for him so i was uh professional and supportive but that was a very difficult for me because i just really wanted to scream and say don't go <laughs> <laughs> well you know it, it sounds like that was baked into how well you guys connected on this idea of of what what's really driving you because heck the guy ended up you know, just some time later, some short time later, being willing to, uh, you know, uproot and move to the Midwest, mostly to be, to join in with you on, on something, right? Like it's, uh, it sounds like that connection was, was most definitely made that, that there's something that the two of you must accomplish together. Right. I mean, it was definitely a connection that's made. I feel, uh, from my perspective, it's a connection that we'll have for a lifetime, but it's certainly the connection that's helped uh, propel and drive us in the world of, of Optimum Care, where we are now, and helped move us forward. Even though, as, as Donovan said, it's been, it's been a great five years, this sort of experience tests, tests everyone in a number of ways. So there's been rough moments. But I do believe that connection you refer to is what's gotten us over those rough moments and trying times to continue to move forward. Let's talk a little bit more about that connection piece. Cause, and, uh, you know, because it sounds like underlying it, there, there's something in it. It might even be hard to articulate. It might even precede the way most people talk about, you know, their passion. But it, it, it sounds like 
uh, it's really around this patient-centered, patient-first uh, sort of thing, but it has to do with care, with helping people, as, as Donovan said. So what is it that uh, that drew you, uh, you know, Michelle, I'll throw it to you first. What is it that drew you into, you know, uh, caring for uh, rare and orphan patient populations? What, how were you introduced to that? And, and what was your experience like? Well, we'd have to go back to the 80s, mid 80s, so a little <laughs> while back. And I had been sort of, uh, you know, uh, moving from job job kind of working as as um, so often happens to pay the bills to have a paycheck and I had the good fortune to go to work for a pharmaceutical company that had products for hemophilia patients and primary immune deficient patients which were orphan patient populations and, and if you think back at that time nobody was focused in orphan there was no discussion on rare and orphan diseases uh, and really not much interest but this company had not only not only had these products they had decided to contract with different organizations to try to coordinate a few support services to help patients get their medications and that's what I was hired for and that's where I came in um, and, and in the course of this time, I also had the opportunity to interact with the Primary Immune Deficiency Foundation and the National Hemophilia Foundation, both patient advocacy organizations. And through that experience, through, uh, you know, learning what orphan patients are faced with and even getting diagnosed most of the time, seven to 10 years before they even get diagnosed, uh, and then after they're diagnosed, the challenges they have in getting their medications um, and uh, working their way through the healthcare maze um, were serious and profound. And I had had a chance to see that by just doing a few things, you can make a tangible, meaningful difference in people's lives and the people and uh, their families by doing those sort of things. So I was kind of hooked. The company I worked for was sold to another company, and uh, and it was a larger company. As as often happens, they kind of lost interest and focused on these um, smaller products for small patient populations. But because I was hooked, it kind of drove me to have a dedication and focus in, in, in finding and refining and creating different sort of services an environment to help support uh, orphan patient populations. So it sounds like there was something very intimate and 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 unique uh, as it relates to the the care for you know these populations versus maybe you know you have a patient uh, population of something like asthma or a condition that's maybe more you know just understood. Um, but it sounds like it really was the 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 kind of intimacy that you you indicated that there were just a few you know sort of small uh, changes that you could make to how uh, patient care was understood uh, that would have a big impact in a meaningful way. Were, was there a couple of those in particular that that happened over the course of the years that you can recall um, that really really were catalytic moments for you where you were like, yes, I must do this sort of thing, you know. The, the the first is, and which was truly a turning point for me, was this experience at that pharmaceutical company, because um, it made it made me realize uh, how, that if you can have a passion about what you do, that and 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 as a part of that passion, if you can actually make a contribution and make a difference. Uh, uh, in people's lives, that there was nothing more meaningful or gratifying than that. And, uh, and then further along the way, uh, you know, you work for other companies, you do things, but you kind of have to, you know, realistically play by the rules they set out. So um, in, in several years later, after that experience and working for different companies, had an opportunity to get together with a group of people that we're in the orphan community and the timing was right. And we were able to start a company called Centric Health Resources, whose focus was orphan patients, rare diseases, 
and services that we could provide to support them. And again, at that time, even though that uh, enough time had gone by, we were already in the, you know, um, like 2003, 2004 time period. Orphan and, and Rare were still not that discussed. It was just starting to come up. So there were a number of people that said, well, why don't you just just do a, in, a you know, infusion company or just do a, a, you know, a specialty pharmacy for larger patient populations. But uh, our, our mission was to focus and uh, focus only on orphan patients and the support they may need. Because our experience had shown us how complex their lives are, how the challenges they face, and that you can really do something to make a difference. So those would be two of the, the, the times in my life that were most pivotal uh, in terms of like moving and keeping this, this uh, passion going. And it sounds like that's the, that's the passion that, that, that you connected with when it, when it came to Donovan and maybe even the sense that you guys had in that first conversation that's now carried out into, into OptimiCare. Donovan, do you think that's, that's the case? Yeah, I think that's uh Definitely the, the case, uh, the passion that Michelle has for patients and, and you know, the, 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 the caring nature that, uh, that really pushes forward in, in everything that, uh, that she does. While, while she, she can be tough and gruff, she does care uh, deeply for all those that, uh, that, that she meets and all those that, uh, that, that either are patients for us, employees for us, and, and, and elsewhere. Um, one of the one of the areas that really drew me to Michelle, and I know we talked about how we met, um, and drew me to you know the 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 kind of the the orphan world is it's a personal you know it's it's my it's my personal experience with with having a genetic disorder and having a, f- a family history with a genetic disorder and and really you know seeing what that can do from not only a caregiver standpoint but also how that you know how it can affect an entire family. Um, so, you know, you heard me mention alpha one earlier. So it's, it's short for alpha one and a trypsin deficiency. Um, it's a genetic disorder that either causes uh, lung disease or, or liver disease. Or, um, one of the things that I, that I really, you know, drew me to this is, is the, is not necessarily the, the, the care, but it's the program that, that encapsulated my, my family and really helped them and helped my father um, through uh, really tough times. Um, Unfortunately, my my aunts and uncles um, did not. Two two of my uh, my aunt and my uncle passed away prior to therapy being available on the market um, from Alpha One, and then my father and his youngest brother um, both uh, started uh, the therapy that's on the market that was actually distributed, and and the patient services were delivered through Michelle's company, uh, Centric Health Resources, and that's that's kind of what drew me there. So I look at the the care, the the therapy management program, and the health management program that my father received, and my father um, really followed it to a T. Like he was kind of that that guy, the rule follower um, all his life, and he was you know he was an elementary school principal, so that can kind of set the tone of the the rule follower, right? But he followed what his doctors told him. He followed what his um, what what his peer health coach told him. He followed what his pharmacist told him. He followed what everybody that that really looked at it. And when I look at that, that that program that was designed for that disease state was really what saved my father's life. So not not just from a health standpoint, but from a mental standpoint and from a overall you know life standpoint. It helped him kind of manage through all that. And that was that was a program that was created by Michelle and some of her partners at Centric Health Resources. I came on later and, you know, was able to, you know, speak of those things. But it was a program that was really that was really designed for a certain patient population. And the individualized care and treatment that my father got allowed him to live 10 years past his brothers and sisters to get his transplant. And then when he was post-transplant, he was still on the therapy because it didn't cure him. The transplant just gave him new lungs that would eventually deteriorate over time. So after post-transplant, he had another 13 years. So when I look at what Centric Health Resource did for, Resources did for him, and I looked at what, you know, the, the program, even the predecessor to that, that Michelle was involved in prior to Centric, and how Michelle and the Alpha One community and the, the folks that founded the company always looked at how to enhance that program. 
My dad got to live those years. He got to see both his kids graduate from college. He got to see both his kids get married and he got to see, you know, he got to see the birth of five grandkids. You know, unfortunately he, he, you know, he, he, he succumbed to liver failure about, you know, two years ago. And, but he was able to have all those things in life because of a program matched with a therapy that kept him going so long. And that's something that I think was really what drew me to one, get into this world. And then two, um, really how to, you know, look at where we are, you know, today. I mean, that's, um, that, that's, uh, that's beautiful. And it, and it, and it sounds like that's the underlying form, like you just said of, you know, what, what the basis of Optimi care really is then that's the, if that's the real connection uh, on that basis, uh, it's a, it sounds like very deep and meaningful and beyond sort of, you know, the, the rhetorical where we're really a patient focused group. This is the, the sort of depth and weight with which you guys have built the operation for Optimi care. I mean, is, is that fair to say? I, I absolutely think it's fair to say, and I feel like that, and, you know, this is just my, uh, you know, personal thoughts that the reason that we've been able to succeed, the reason that we are here today talking about Oxymi care and our experiences and, and uh, the whole patient first approach that, you know, we've taken on to start to share within the industry is because, because of those things, because it isn't, because it is sort of deep and abiding in, in terms of, of uh, how we view it and the importance uh, it, it, it plays in our lives. I guess that may sound a little corny, but, but I, I really believe that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I, you know, I think the, uh, the reason why we, you know, persevered through some of the, you know, the early years of, you know, building the company and, you know, the, the, the model we have is a little different than, than what we would call the legacy model that's out there of, of caring for patients and the way that we build our, our teams and our company and, you know, our programs. But we believe from our experiences that it works and we, and we've seen that it works for these patients. Um, and does it work for every patient population? No. Does it work for these small orphan, you know, rare disease populations? Absolutely. A hundred percent it works. And we have the formula, we have the, the understanding and, and, it, and it's a mission. It's, it's to, for, for, for any of the, you know, the manufacturers, that, the, the product manufacturers or the drug companies that, that are bringing a product on. And we have that connection with the patient organizations and the patient community we can design and, and we can put together a program that is the, that is a you know best in industry program for them, and it's based off of our own personal experiences. It's based off of proof in different disease states. You know, you know, Michelle said earlier that you know that some people will say, "Hey, pick a pick an area and and stick and stick to it, or pick a disease state, or pick a you know whatever it is." And we have found that for the ultra orphan orphan patient populations, the small, the rare, the rare that we have something that's very special and something that's magical for them. And it is built off of things that I saw personally that my family received, but it's also built off of what we learn from all those different, different disease states. When you combine things from all the different disease states, you see what works, you see what patients need. When you're in tune with the patient, you're talking to the patients and you're designing the programs with the patient at the table, you get the right program. You know, when, when you design the program with the physicians and the, and the, you know, working through advisory boards and things like that to understand what they need, you get the program that they need and you get the program that they trust and they work with. And then you start seeing higher compliance, higher product utilization. You start seeing, you know, high satisfaction scores. You start seeing patients and, and, and physicians offices that all, that all work together for the, for the greater good and, and, and keeping that patient first mindset from your personal experiences and, and working with those patients in a mission is really what, it comes down to and, and what shows success. It's really interesting. It's almost contrarian to, you know, the, 
the way the world feels like it's shifting these days, you know, toward automation and the, the sort of <laughs> cultivating of, of more and more quantitative measures of things. And, and I'm, while I'm, it sounds to me as though uh, the things you're indicating, certainly there, there is a quantitative, you know, sort of level. It sounds like, you know, uh, keeping the patient close and, and making the patient part of the design uh, from the beginning. Is, is how seriously you're taking the patient first sort of aspect of, of what you're doing as a, as a specialty pharmacy. But uh, more importantly, it sounds like you're, you're gathering a level of data that, that is otherwise maybe obscure, you know, or, or hidden uh, because it just wouldn't have been thought to have been measured, right? Like you wouldn't, nobody would maybe even think to ask, you know, about it. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Yeah. I think I think we see this level of automation that's out there, right? We see everybody saying, "Hey, how do we how do we just you know use machine learning and how do we use this?" And while while that has a place, and I think that's good, and I think there's 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 definitely avenues you can go down that way. You got to really think of the patients that we work with and the patients that we talk to on a daily basis. They're 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 diagnosed with a disease they've never heard of, and they're going to be treated with a medication that they can't pronounce. I mean, it's it's really you know, that, that level of understanding, and it's not just, here's your medication, go get it. It, there's a whole thing that goes behind it from a, from a payer standpoint, from a coverage standpoint, from a, you know, reimbursement, and then also understanding what it's doing for you. I mean, you know, how many times have you gone to your physician and they start talking to you and they tell you you have this, this, this disorder and you shut down, like you, you know, you shut down and then you hope you have somebody that's there with you as a, as a loved one who's listening, but you know what? They shut down too. All they think about is my loved one or I have this disorder. What am I going to do? How am I going to afford it? How am I going to tell my kids? That's, that's what's going through your head. And the physician really then thinks that they did a good job because you don't have any questions and you need somewhere that those patients can turn to. And, and that's a lot of times us, you know, we have... We have pharmacists uh, that that are dedicated to the particular disorder that they 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 become they're experts in they they're experts in the medication and when you look at it they're the most when you look at the uh, the top ten most trusted professions a pharmacist is always one or two and it's a uh, it's it's interesting some of the questions and some of the comments and some of the things that the patients will talk to our pharmacists about they form a bond with their with their care coordinators they form a bond with the people that are doing it and when you when you have that patient first mentality and you have that mission inside you, it just becomes easy. It just becomes something that's special. that's there. And they, they can't forget about that, that, that's that one-to-one contact, that individualized care, that, that conversation is where we gather so much more information than if we were using the automation or the machine learning. And, it, and it's, it's really the, it's the soul of what we do. I think that it's, you know, we, we've taught, we talk a lot about, you know, patient first and, and, and Donovan um, alluded, alluded to it earlier and, and mentioned, but I, what I want to make sure we don't lose is that this is a, a business model that, that benefits everyone. It benefits the, the uh, partner, the manufacturer of the product, this product to market. It benefits the patient and the community as a whole. Um, and because of the uniqueness of the one-on-one sort of interactions, the personal interactions, what you get out of it is really tangible benefit in terms of, again, compliance, Staying on the medication, um, understanding the disease state, um, things that are that are really important in terms of making sure that patients are treated effectively and making sure that our partners are successful with the drugs that they have worked so long to get get in the marketplace. I'll, I'll tell a story uh, that I always tell, sorry, Donovan, uh, about the value of this sort of interaction and sort of intimate relationship and the, uh, then the depth and breadth of the data that comes out of that. We had a, 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 a um, someone that analyzes uh, data come in and look at our healthcare data that we had collected over a period of years in uh, in a rare patient population. And um, 
and he was experienced in what's called disease or health management, so he knew what to be looking for. And at the end of this analysis, he brought back a number of interesting things. But one thing that was really, really important proved to be really important for the patient and our partner, the manufacturer. And that is the data showed that from a health perspective, once a patient's body weight went below a certain uh, threshold, they tended uh, like 85% of the time to, to go off their medication, stop taking their medication, which then created this downward cycle for the patient. Um, and um, because of this insight, we were able to put some things in place with with the patient population as simple as uh, providing uh, a, a dietary supplement like Ensure to help them maintain health in their body weight. And what we saw over time is that trend reverse itself. Think of the implications for the patient and our partner uh, in terms of making sure that they stayed uh, on the appropriate therapy, and most importantly, had maximized their health as long as they could. And without that completeness of the data with, that comes from this, uh, you know, one-on-one, person-to-person interaction, uh, we were able to, to, to identify that and take corrective action. Yeah, I mean, that's an amazing story because you know, along with data is also knowing what what to measure, when would it be important, what are the, you know, and, and then how can you operationalize uh, and, and gather insight from it that is actionable. And it sounds like, you know, by having this close of a connection, by having that much trust, that you're able to get access to all kinds of, you know, data that might, like you're saying, like might have otherwise maybe not have been seen. Um, maybe we wouldn't have thought to measure it a certain way. Uh, and then you can. Or the apply. dots would never been connected. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You wouldn't have connected the dots exactly and made some insight from it. So, so yeah, it does sound like there's, um, there's something that is beneficial to everyone in that, in that, uh, that, that surrounds that patient, the, the, the caregivers, the doctors, the, certainly the, the industry, certainly pharmaceutical companies, you know, increasing the, you know, the uh, compliance rate on the appropriate therapy is in their best interest as well. So, um, so that makes sense. I, you know, and how often do you get that? Right, right. Exactly. How often do you get something that where everybody and, and including, uh, you know, the payers, everyone, uh, is, is like, yeah, this is great. You know, it's, it, um, yeah, that, that's a rare thing in and of itself, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so since this is the wrap episode of a first season, there's a couple questions and, and, uh, Donovan, I might throw these at you, uh, first and, and we could be real real quick with them, um, you know, uh, because th- it's been an interesting year, certainly an interesting year to celebrate your fifth anniversary, <laughs> right? Um, uh, probably to put it, put it mildly, that whole adage about may you live in interesting times, which sounds more like a curse. But um, in the midst of these interesting times, uh, you saw you guys are beginning to experience a pandemic. And it was around that time that y'all were like, hey, Jeremy, we think a podcast sounds like a good idea. Um, what made you, uh, think to do something like that? And Michelle, if, if you, you can actually jump in and, and help with that as well first. And, um, and then we can talk more about what the past season has been like. So I'll go first. That's what I heard you say. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, all right. Um, I, well, you know, like so many others, we've been into 2020 with what we thought was and was a well-defined plan of how we were going to continue to approach the market. But that well-defined plan was predicated on what we'd done previously, which is sort of being road warriors and spreading the patient first word one-on-one with uh, different people within the orphan community. Well, that quickly became clear that that was not going to be a possibility. (laughs) And, And so what, what, also often happens is, is we started sitting and talking and thinking about, okay, what, how should we pivot? Because we were going to need to pivot. Uh, we kind of remembered what had, a big part of what had inspired us to start with. And that was the friends and colleagues within the orphan community that we'd interact with uh, through the years 
and started talking about wouldn't it be great if we could find a vehicle to ha- to incorporate these people and their accomplishments and and their knowledge uh, and share that widely and a podcast. Uh, especially since you don't have to be one-on-one, seemed like a very logical way to do that. Uh, so that just, uh, we were just set, down, set on that path because of necessity. But uh, I think that it's, it's proven to be um, uh, very positive and, and it's kind of a, really exciting for us to get to share in this more broad manner than we were previously. Donovan? Yeah, I, cu- I couldn't agree more. The, um, the, the, you know, one of the things that I think that, you know, we have the, the benefit of, of, of doing is interacting with all different cohorts. So when we, when we looked at the podcast and we looked at how can we have this, this, this vehicle to kind of be out there, um, we also looked at the benefit that we have where we talk to patients, we talk to pharma execs, we talk to payer folks, we talk to consultants, we talk to, you know, everybody across the landscape. And you don't typically, you know, get to hear from some of those people on a regular basis. And and we got excited because we could actually bring different, you know, points of view and different ways of looking at the the orphan and, and rare disease community from from different folks. And I think that's what, you know, what season one was all about is really, you know, getting the different folks to give their perspective on on the orphan and, and ultra orphan and rare disease communities. And, you know, I look at, I look at the guests we had and I, I you know, I, 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 they were, they were phenomenal. And, and, yeah, they, and they go really ahead did and, that. Even if you want to just, you know, go ahead and run into uh, yeah. some of the, the highlights for you in hosting the show over the last year, you know, some of the things that, that you'll take away that you think are the most memorable. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I, you know, in no particular order, I, I, I think that, you know, you, you look at, Guests like Ken Greathouse, you know, he's a seasoned pharma exec. He he truly knows what it means to look at the patient needs, and he, and he's and he's had a career, a long career of of managing different programs and creating programs and bringing drugs to market. And you know, he, he's 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 really the 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 guy that you look to when you're looking for ultra orphan or orphan products to either be on your board or to help you find a new CEO or to be that CEO. He's he's really that 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 seasoned veteran. Um, you look at Monica Weldon, who is the, you know, the feisty mom that fights every day to change the way we look at rare disease. Um, you know, you have Dave Pennack, who's, who's a CEO of an emerging, emerging company. Um, and he really, truly understands what it is to be, a, to be patient first. He looks at the world for, uh, you know, as, as an opportunity. He says, if he says he's going to do it, he's going to do it. And he's going to do it well. And, and I, I really believe that Dave is a uh, kind of that, that, that up and coming CEO and understanding from things from a patient perspective. Uh, Billy, Bill Jolly, who, you know, he's the constant fighter. Bill Jolly started in rare disease as a career. Then he was diagnosed with a, with a very rare form of, of cancer. And instead of it being a career, he made his he made it into a mission and 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 has founded and and worked through the rare disease community. I have to say, after that one, it made me want to be like a better person. <laughs> I mean, my goodness, right? Like, uh, yeah. uh, Dolly has now started that interrupt hunger, yep. you know, nonprofit, and and it seems like he's he's just uh, in a constant state of of being a better human, which again uh, has both the sort of uh, built-in uh, inspiration and shame that I'm not better already, you know. <laughs> so. and, and just knowing Bill, he does he makes he makes you better by by knowing him by talking to him. I mean, you, you want to get involved, you want to do more, and, and and you know that's one of the things Bill Bill brings. So you know, if you listen to that episode, I think it's you know it, that's what it, that's exactly what it does. You have Candice uh, Candice Lehrman or or Rare Candice, as most of the uh, rare disease knows her, and and she changed her whole life. You know, she was diagnosed with something. She changed her whole life. She went to, to law school. She became an advocacy attorney and she fights not only for her disorder, but she's involved with every organization that's out there in the, in the rare disease and orphan community. And she's up, you know, she's up, in, 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 she marches on Washington. She gets up in, at conferences and she's, she's one of those people who, who really has Im- embedded herself in the orphan and rare disease community. And she's really, you know, a special, special person. And then, you know, we have, we have Jim Clement, who, who spent years and years on the payer side. Now he's in consulting and, you know, his insight into the payer world is, is like no other. And, you know, as he's out there and he's a, you know, 
helping uh, pharmaceutical companies, you know, bring their products to market. His his insight on our show and his insight in the community is just, you know, is second to none. He he really knows what happens at the in the payer world. He really knows how to, you know, navigate those things. And you know, having Jim's take on that, I thought was just a real interesting way of 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 viewing um, how to set up a program, how to build a program, and you know the intricacies that can go into it. And you know, all, all the guests that we had this season brought something different to the table and made you think about orphan and rare disease in, in different ways. And I think that it was a, uh, it was just an awesome experience. I really enjoyed hosting it. I know, Jeremy, you were behind the scenes, so you got to hear all of it, um, you know, firsthand and, you know, over some of the and stuff. Over and over again sometimes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and some, and, and I, I think some of the stuff that hit the cutting room floor that we, as we turned the microphones off, you know, and had a longer conversation on certain things was, was even, even better. And, you know, I wish we would have recorded that and then a kind of a, you know, behind the scenes with rare voices. Maybe um, for season two, Donovan. <laughs> we can work on that for sure. And you're right. You know, if, if, Hey, if you were like, Hey, you want to take a crash course in who are some of the most insightful people in like the world of rare and orphan listening to the first season of, of rare voices well, probably wouldn't be like the worst thing you could do. You know, right. you, you'd probably learn a lot about it, a lot of different perspectives, a lot of different points of view, uh, all looking, you know, sort of toward the same thing. Um, really, you know, in, in, in wrapping even uh, this episode uh, of, of this, this, this final episode of the first season, Michelle, I'm going to, um, I'm going to ask you about something that I, I think that it, it's also kind of leading to the theme that, uh, that Donovan and I have, have talked about even for season two. So this is a bit of a, a prequel, uh, if you will, uh, for, for season two. You know, when you, um, and, I, and I think it's appropriate to ask you this question because you're the one who self-identified already as, as, as starting back in the 80s with um, <laughs> passion around the, the, the rare and orphan uh, uh, pa patient populations. But, you know, you, you, got, you all uh, definitely have at the center of, of at your core this passion that's really well-defined. It's helped you to build a business for five years during probably one of the most disruptive years any business has experienced. You guys started a new thing uh, and, and, well, lots of new things and you grew uh, your influence and we've been working on this podcast. And now that you look out at the landscape, when you look ahead, uh, when you, let's say in five years from now, you know, when, when you're looking out there, what, what, do you, what do you see? What do you think continues? What are the things that are important to tell the listeners that, you know, here's what we think is, is really going to continue to be the case. And here's the things that are really going to change about, um, about our industry. Um, so, uh, you know, in thinking, thinking about your question, uh, Jeremy, I would say that, you know, it's, it's almost feels like, you know, it's, it's a prediction and, and a prediction is like, you know, really hard to make who could have predicted 2020, but, but, um, what I, what I, um, hope what I, uh, aspire or, 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 uh, if I could bring something forth into the future, it, it would be that the rare and orphan, um, space and community sort of stays in the forefront, not only within the community, but, but on a much wider basis. And that uh, advocacy, patient advocacy, advocacy organizations, which are basically like the pillar of these orphan communities, they're the places where the most significant change happens and takes place, continue in their efforts and more, broad, more broadly recognized for the value that they bring, again, to the orphan industry, recognized by uh, the uh, pharmaceutical companies that bring products to the orphan industry into, into to the marketplace. And it's been a year of sort of like um, a turning point, a flashpoint of change in healthcare and how it's administered and where we get it and what it looks like. And it's, you know, you can take telehealth as an example. Basically, it's been discussed for years, uh, touted for years. Technology has been created so that people could receive their health uh, 
from the distance and really nothing much had changed in in the how we access health care although there was a lot of discussion but in an instant what happened in 2020 absolutely made telehealth telemedicine the only way that people could receive their care for long periods of time same thing for if you look at clinical trials we've talked about clinical trials for years how they need to be more accessible how they needed to, to be uh, modified so that a broader group of people could could participate and again we've gone along pretty much the same with a lot of discussion and no real changes again 2020 in an instant the only way that pharmaceutical companies could change uh, or continue or start clinical trials was by finding ways to get medications to patients in their home, ease access to the different components of the trial uh, a little bit so they weren't so focused on in-clinic visits and setting. Well, if you think about it, all those things are really what we talk about in terms of patient first. It is making care accessible. It's providing support so you have the best experience possible with the medication and also generally on your life in your life on a day-to-day -day basis. So what I what I hope is that these changes become solidified. And then as we go out and talk to people in the marketplace about patient first, we don't have to tell them. They already know that patient first is the way to make their product successful. It's the way to access the orphan patient community. And um, that's an interesting we, point of view. We, you know, it's it's really just an interesting point of view because you're kind of saying a lot of the you know the sort of the the catalytic changes that occurred and as a theme in in 2020, what you're seeing is you know these are sort of a, some of the elements of the things that back them up are things that for a long time they've been talked about or it wouldn't it be great if we could uh, so it's almost like you're saying you know the the crisis that we all faced out of necessity you know it's almost like we started championing things that that you all. Uh, in particular, we're like, you know, wouldn't it be great if we could have an influence on this? And it, it sounds like that's what you're really hoping you can help to solidify and, and help to open more and better conversations about. Exactly. And I don't think we can go back. I, I don't think that's going to be possible now that the door's been opened because everybody's kind of seen that it actually can be a benefit for all. And so my fear, my, my goal, my wish is that it stays moving forward in that direction long-term. Well, hey, Donovan, you know, um, and, and by the way, we, we, I can't wait until um, uh, January of, of next year and we can be doing the, the wrap episode of season two. Um, but just even uh, real quick for listeners, Donovan, what are you looking forward to uh, over the next year when it comes to Rare Voices? What can they look forward to in season two that that has you interested or, or that that's getting you excited? Um, I, I think the lineup of guests that we've, uh, we've so far developed um, are going to be uh, just as good, if not better than season one. Um, I think there's a, you know, there's a, there's a real good opportunity for us to continue what we're doing and, you know, bring in the guests who really change the faith face of rare and orphan disorders. Um, folks who have been in the industry for a long time um, against, you know, caregivers and, and uh, and patients and um, and folks who who live this every day. So I, I really look forward to season two, and I really uh, you know encourage the listeners to uh, to to go on any medium that they listen to podcasts and and really look at uh, what we have coming for them. And yeah, it's a smash uh, it's that subscribe button as they all as the YouTubers say exactly. exactly. Yeah, right. Well, guys, it's. Um, it's been an incredible journey to be alongside you for this. Thanks for letting me uh, out uh, from under the, the staircase uh, and, uh, and in front of the microphone uh, to join the listeners. And hopefully, you know, the listener reviews or any comments we get won't be like, for, for the sake of all that is holy, please do not have Jeremy talk anymore. Um, 
but uh, but this has been just a real a privilege to uh, to work with people who are so centered on their passion and are and are making something of it that's tangible uh, in the, in the lives of people and that that really matters, of course. And so, um, uh, definitely looking forward to season two. Uh, and and as Donovan said, we've already recorded a, a couple of folks, and uh, it's it's really going to be. Uh, a great show. So, so thank you both for joining uh, Rare Voices today. Thank you, thank Jeremy. You, You've been listening to Rare Voices, brought to you by the people of OptimiCare. If you want to hear more Rare Voices, go to rare-voices.com. There you can learn about our shows, read articles from industry thought leaders, and fill out a form to be a guest on Rare Voices. Again, That's rare-voices.com. I'm Donovan Quill, co-founder of OptimiCare. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to listen for more rare voices all around you each and every day. Mm